Turn to the book of Matthew this morning, Matthew chapter number 27. Uh, For several weeks now, we've been in John chapter number 19, as we have been in a series that I've entitled Standing Near the Cross. Uh, Today, we're going to get the perspective uh, of the crucifixion of Christ and those characters that were there at the crucifixion. We're going to get that perspective from Matthew chapter number 27 uh, this morning as we look once again at Calvary. And uh, I believe the Lord has something for us today as we look at a different individual. And uh, certainly everything, and and this series is just another reminder to me, and certainly should be another reminder to us, that everything that is in the Bible is their own purpose. Every person that is mentioned in Scripture is mentioned on purpose. And there's something for us to know, there's something for us to learn, and we're going to look at a very obscure character that was uh, by the cross and at the cross of Calvary, and uh, what the Lord has for us to learn from that today. If you look at Matthew chapter number 27, we're going to begin reading verse 35, and we're going to read several verses this morning as we read through the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ. Matthew 27, begin reading with verse 35, and they crucified him and parted his garments, casting lots. That it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet. They parted my garments among them, and upon my vesture did they cast lots. And sitting down, they watched him there, and set up over his head his accusation written, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Then were there two thieves crucified with him, one on the right hand, and another on the left. And they that passed by reviled him, wagging their heads, and saying, Thou that destroyest the temple, and buildest it in three days, save thyself. If thou be the Son of God, come down from the cross. Likewise, also the chief priests mocking him with the scribes and elders said, He saved others, himself he cannot save. If he be the king of Israel, let him now come down from the cross, and we will believe him. He trusted in God, let him deliver him now, if he will have him, for he said, I am the Son of God. The thieves also, which were crucified with him, cast the same in his teeth. Now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is to say, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Some of them that stood there when they heard that said, This man calleth for Elias. And straightway one of them ran and took a sponge and filled it with vinegar and put it on a reed and gave him the drink. The rest said, Let be... Let us see whether Elias will come to save him. Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom. And the earth did quake, and the rocks rent. And the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints which slept arose. And came out of the graves after his resurrection, and went into the holy city, and appeared unto many. Now when the centurion and they that were with him, watching Jesus, saw the earthquake... And those things that were done, they feared greatly, saying, Truly, this was the Son of God. As we look once again at the crucifixion of our Savior, I remind you uh, the reason Jesus was on the cross of Calvary. He came to pay the sin debt of mankind. The Scripture tells us He yielded up the ghost, meaning He gave His life. Man did not take it from Him. He was God. Death could not conquer Him. And we know this to be true because he was resurrected just three days later. But I want us to look at all the different characters, and certainly from John chapter 19, if you recall, we uh, spoke of Mary, his mother, who was there at the cross. 
And we also spoke of John, the beloved, that disciple whom Jesus gave the responsibility to care for his mother. Remember Mary Magdalene we spoke of, and uh, we spoke of Joseph of Arimathea who took the body of Christ and, and helped preserve it and laid it in his tomb. And Nicodemus, that Pharisee who came to Jesus by night and how he aided in the <clears throat> preservation of the body of Christ. <clears throat> now from into Matthew chapter number 27, we're going to look at a character who the scripture does not give us his name. And in all my years of being in church, I grew up at church. I can't, I can't begin to tell you the number of church services I've been in. I've never heard a preacher preach on this particular character. Maybe one did, and I was just sleeping that morning. I don't know, but uh, after this service, some of you will be able to say, I've still never heard anybody uh, preach on this particular character. But I want us to look at verse number 54. Now, when the centurion, there was a centurion there at the cross of Calvary. This morning, as we look at the message, much of what I present to you today is just going to be some facts about what a centurion was, what he probably, how his interaction would have been from a historical perspective. But there is a very important and powerful truth that the Lord is going to present for us today. As we look at the crucifixion the best we can through Scripture, through the eyes of the centurion. And this morning I want to preach on the centurion, an unlikely witness. The centurion... An unlikely witness. witness. Father, I pray this morning that I might be an instrument in your hand. May the Spirit of God work through me. May the Spirit of God speak through me this morning. May everyone who is under the sound of my voice, whether they be present in the building this morning, they be watching by live stream, listening by way of radio this morning, may everyone who is part of this service in some way, may we hear what the Word of God has for us today. May we hear the Spirit of God. And Father, I pray this morning that as a child of God, may every child of God be reminded of what Christ did for us. May we be reminded of who Jesus was and is. But Father, if there's one <clears throat> under the sound of my voice this morning who has never received Christ as their Savior, maybe this morning they are depending on their own good works. Maybe this morning they're depending on hope and chance or depending on a church or a way of beliefs or some other uh, thing that they're putting their faith in, may today they realize uh, that there is none who can get to the Father but through Jesus Christ. May today they realize their need. May they put their faith in Christ. May they receive Him as their personal Savior. And Father, I pray this morning that Your will will be done. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> Scripture, once again, <clears throat> in Matthew chapter 27 reminds us of the ugly scene of the crucifixion. Perhaps there, throughout history has been no more barbaric means of execution. I remind you that before Christ got to the cross, what he endured. He endured certainly the mockings, but he endured the, 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 the smiting by the fist to his face, the plucking of his beard. He had been fitted with a crown of thorns where the thorns had been beat into his skull. He had endured a scourging, which was to take the cat of nine tails, that whip that had nine strands. And historically, they, we know that at the end of those strands would have been a, a piece of stone or a, a sharp instrument. That way, when the, the strands wrapped around the body, they would grab a hold of the flesh. 
Then the man administering that punishment, who would have been a man of strength, would rip the whip away and it would tear apart parts of the flesh. If you look at it strictly from a historical perspective, uh, statistically speaking, most did not even survive the scourging. And as he was led to this place of execution and his hands nailed to that cross, his feet nailed to that cross, and as that cross is lifted up and dropped into place, Scripture tells us that Christ was not even recognized as a man. You could not even recognize who he was. He did not even look like a man. And, and we consider what the scene that those who were a part of this and something who someone who saw crucifixions on a regular basis, certainly even they could never get used to what they saw. This is the ugly scene of the crucifixion. Of course, that reminds you and I what Christ did to pay our redemption. It reminds you and I what Christ endured so that our, we could have forgiveness, we could have salvation. And this morning, we should be thankful for, the, for, for Jesus and thankful for the sacrifice that He made. We're reminded of that, but I want us to see this scene of the crucifixion where the centurion, this man fulfilling his post, fulfilling his responsibility, there at this scene, there were certainly criminals who society, because of the crucifixion and this execution, uh, was rejecting because of their crimes. They were going to be executed, and Scripture tells us that there were thieves there with Christ. But amongst these criminals that society was rejecting was also Christ, Jesus, the perfect Son of God. And why was he there? He was there because he was also rejected. But he was not rejected from society because of a crime he committed. He was not rejected from society because of a wrong that he had done. He was and is the perfect son of God. Yet he was there at that crucifixion. He was there being crucified because of the rejection of man, not because of what he had done because of who he was. Simply because he had proclaimed that he was, and certainly only he had the right to proclaim that he was the Son of God. We don't have time this morning, but if you go back to preceding verses and chapters, you read through that mockery of a trial and, and how they begin to try him. Do you, is this who you say you are? And, and he, all he had ever done was taught him and, and be, the, be who he was and fulfill, came to fulfill the responsibility he had to pay man's sin debt. As we read the account of the crucifixion, we come to verse number 54, and we find an unlikely witness there. We, if you think back to John chapter 19 and the characters that were there, we talked about the Apostle John, John the Beloved, and, and how John was a disciple in that inner circle. Certainly you would expect, as we read the Gospel of John, to find the account of John in the crucifixion. You're, you're not surprised that Mary, the mother of Jesus, was there. Certainly Scripture would bear out that Mary would would have a, have a view, Mary would, have a, be, would be a witness to this account. But we have an unnamed man who's just referred to by his occupation 
the centurion becomes an unlikely witness. A simple definition of the word witness is to bear testimony. And this unlikely witness is going to bear testimony of a very important truth. And as we consider this, the centurion witnessed these events, and he became a, in, 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 in witnessing these events, he actually became a witness of Christ's fulfillment of prophecy. About, about the message this morning, as I mentioned, I'm, just, I'm going to go through several things and give us the perspective so that we can grasp the importance of this truth. And so first of all, this morning, I want to mention the centurion and his duty. Just from a standpoint of what the centurion, who he was, what he would have done, certainly he is unnamed, but we can know something about him by the duty that he had to fulfill, the responsibility that he had. A centurion uh, was an influential person in the Roman Empire. He was an officer who commanded 100 men. If you know anything about the Roman Empire, the Roman Empire existed to conquer, to conquest. The, 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 the army was, was the, the significant part of the, the, the Roman Empire. So a man who would be given in charge of a hundred soldiers, he was responsible uh, to make sure they fit the part of a Roman soldier. He was responsible for their drilling. He was responsible for their command. He was responsible for their action and their activity. Certainly, those men under his command would become a lot like this man. So the man who was put in this regard, it was not a flippant thing for him to get there. If you just study strictly from a historical context, the centurion, and, and, the, and the more noble they were in battle, the, the, the more prominent of a place that they were placed with their uh, uh, command similar to how our military would operate today. Typically, a centurion's duty consisted of, of all uh, taking care of those men, drilling them, making sure they're what they're supposed to be. But every once in a while, a centurion would be dispatched for a special service. If there was someone of significance, let's just say someone like the governor of a conquered region, someone typical to Pontius Pilate, you would not just get an enlisted man, someone on the, the, the bottom, to go and guard someone that important. You would take a centurion who had faithfully fulfilled his responsibility. He had been one who his, his unit, if you will, there's been under him who had fought valiantly, and they were the way they should be, and they were a good representative of the Roman Empire. A centurion on occasion would be taken and he would be given in a place of service and a responsibility dispatched to this special service. Certainly, this would have been the case with this centurion. Uh, there are, were several centurions stationed at Jerusalem while Jerusalem was under Roman control. Several times through the scripture, we'll not have time to draw parallels this morning, that it speaks of a centurion that, who, who approached Christ or a centurion who had faith in Christ. This centurion, no doubt, had been dispatched here for a specific responsibility. This was not just a, a, a if you will, a run-of-the-mill uh, soldier. This was someone who had some standing. This was someone who was there for a specific purpose. Knowing the typical role... In duties of the centurion, we can assume the centurion at Calvary was there filling his post. We can assume that he was not there just as a casual observer. 
he was there because he had a special task that he was supposed to do. Think with me at this place of execution, this place where the, 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 the lives of individuals were taken in, in the, the barbaric way that it was taken. Certainly, the, those prisoners had to be guarded up to a point. Maybe he was tasked with overseeing the, the prisoners and the delivery of the prisoners from education. Uh, likely, he's more, part of his responsibility was crowd control. As, as we know, when Christ was crucified, we know that his mother was there. We know that his disciples, many of his disciples, his friends, if you will, they were there. Could you imagine uh, as, as throughout history and throughout this period of time, as individuals were crucified, uh, there would be frantic mothers who would try and get to the cross. There would be some who would try and, and, and create some havoc there, perhaps. The centurion there, no doubt, was not there as just a casual observer, had nothing to do that day. He was there fulfilling a post, fulfilling a responsibility. Uh, he was there to perhaps, again, guard the prisoners, to keep the crowd under control. And in the course of fulfilling his duty, he was an eyewitness to the battle for the ages. Scripture tells us some of the things that took place when Christ yielded up his ghost. And Christ had given his life for you and I. Now, he would rise from the dead three days later, but he had taken upon himself the sins of the world. Here's a man fulfilling his responsibility. I don't know if there was any prestige with the post that he had, but I, for one, do not think that that was a responsibility that could be enjoyed to watch the the barbaric execution of individuals and just the, the over and the over. And part of what a soldier does is he, he's in those situations, but certainly he probably thought this was just going to be another routine day. But he became an eyewitness to the battle for men's souls. Now Christ had taken upon him the sins of the world. And friend, let me remind you this morning, that was my sins. That was your sins. That was the sins of the whole world. He took upon himself, and that's why he said, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Because God could not even look at his own son at that time because he had taken upon him the sins of all mankind. And he gave his life so that you and I would not have to. He gave his life to pay that sin debt. This centurion was, fulfill, was filling his, fulfilling his duty and, and, and standing his post, and little did he know he was become a, going to become an eyewitness to the death of Christ and the payment of man's sins. I noticed number two this morning, we look at the centurion, we look at his experience. No doubt in describing his duty, we get a glimpse of the experience that he must have had on a routine, a routine basis. The routine experience of the centurion, no doubt, at some point was to guard, transport, deliver these criminals for execution. I imagine this centurion had heard it all. I imagine this centurion had seen it all. I imagine this centurion had heard every sob story. I'm sure he had, had seen every, heard every excuse. 
I'm heard, I, I believe he probably heard some talk about how, how they deserved this and how, all the bad things they had done. And, and maybe they said, I would do it all. The, I don't know. Maybe he probably heard a little bit of everything. No doubt he heard some say that they were innocent and there was, they sh this should not be taking place and he should do the right thing and, and let them go. He probably heard everything. No doubt this was his routine experience. For someone like most of us who have, have never have to deal with, with that element of society, I mean myself excluded, look at the crowd here this morning, I mean, you don't have to deal with, <clears throat> with that element of society, certainly it would be a little more shocking for us to be inserted into that. Inserted into that world with these criminals, these, those sentenced to death, and then to be witness to the beatings, to be witness to the crucifixion. As a, sh a soldier, you're not new to death. You're not new to that. It becomes, as much as that can, a routine. This is the post that I've been given. This is his normal experience. He had witnessed it so many times. More than likely, he had witnessed this many, many times. What did he witness? Condemned men. No doubt some claiming their innocence. Weeping families. Hysterical friends and family. He had seen it all before. He had heard it all before. Probably became a little callous to it. This is just what I have to do. Maybe in his mind, it's, it was not, he's not much different from you and I. I've got so many more days. I've got so many more months here. Then they're going to move me somewhere else. If I fulfill my responsibility here, then I'll be, continue to be promoted. And it's just routine. This is what he was supposed to do. No doubt, those prisoners that would come through, those criminals that would be executed... Uh, he, he did not get to know them. He did not know anything about him. He, was just, he didn't care uh, their circumstances. He was just doing what, this was his experience. This is what he lived. But I believe on this day, one of these prisoners was different. I do not believe that a man could be in the presence of the Son of God and not be affected. The meek spirit of the Savior. Everybody claimed to be innocent. This man never said a word. As he was beaten, he never said a word. When the accusations were leveled against him, he never said a word. He would not know the, what the prophets had said, but certainly you and I are aware of Isaiah saying he was led as a sheep to his slaughter. And I believe that the experience that day had to be a little bit different, but I believe it's important for us to get the full context of the witness that he's going to become to know what his duty would be, to know what his usual experience would be. And that leads us to the third thing this morning I want to point out is the centurion and his realization. While he was fulfilling his duty, this is where I have been sent as a centurion, after all, you provide a faithful duty. Certainly, you're going to be taken and put into more prominent positions. And certainly, now he had been taken and sent to Jerusalem, and, 
and, and, and Pontius Pilate was there, that governor was there, and, and he had some responsibility, and, and this was to carry out the execution of the, the Roman law, and, and he was there fulfilling his duty, his task, he, his routine experience. This is just what he went through while he fulfilled his duty. But on this day, he's going to come to a realization, something he's never come to before. He's going to see there's something different. While this day began very routine for me, there's another crucifixion. There's, there's more execution. How rowdy is the crowd going to be today? How frantic is the mother going to be today? What is going to go on? Is there going to be any rioting? And, and I've already heard of the great mob and, and their chanting of crucify him, crucify him. They seem to be in a frenzy at this time, and they begin to be worked, seem to be worked up this time. How stressful is my day going to be? How much am I going to have to, how hard am I going to work today? While he was probably concerned with all of that, it would not take him long to understand that today was going to be different. Can you imagine if, if you can place yourself in his position just for a moment, if you can place yourself in this story, and while I've read the account of the crucifixion, no doubt hundreds of times, if, if not more than that, I cannot get over, and I don't want to ever get over, the, 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 the barbaric things that our Savior endured. But to read, this was his every day. This was his routine. For us to be interjected into this scene, we, we look at it with horror. As we, could, we should, because we're talking about our Savior. We're talking about the Son of God. But this is not something we see. This is not something we have a part in. But as we try and place ourselves in the situation that the centurion was in. I want you to look with me at the scripture again in verse number 50. Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. No doubt this man had witnessed the death of criminals on those crosses before. After the man on the cross takes his last breath, no doubt they had a routine of taking the crosses down, taking the bodies, what they did with them. Perhaps we don't know. It could have been his first day there, but likely he had been there for a while. He's seen this before. But when this man, in verse number 50, cried again with a loud voice, yielding up the ghost, Something happened that had never happened before. Of course, he would not have seen it, but at the time, in verse 51, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom. And just to interject, why is that significant? Because Jesus is now the high priest. We, there's no, we don't need a go-between anymore. We have, we have access to the throne through Christ. But at the end of verse number 51... And the earth did quake, and the rocks rent. See, when this truly was the battle for the ages and the most significant thing in history as Christ took upon him the sins of the world, think about the number of sins that Christ took upon him. If we just took the sins represented in this room, how heavy of a burden that must have been. But to take upon him the sins by every man that ever had been committed, 
or ever would be committed, Christ took upon him the sins, and Satan at that point thought he was winning. But he didn't realize how bad he was losing. As our Savior laid down his life, because man had sinned against God. Man had offended God. But God still loved man. God still wanted to redeem man. And so, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He gave the Lord Jesus Christ. And Christ willingly came. And he lived on this earth as as 100% God and 100% man. And he never committed a sin. And he was perfect in every way. and, And yet man rejected him because he said exactly who he was. And in doing so, he said to man, your religion is no longer going to be enough. Your works are no longer going to be enough. Your sacrifices won't save you. You must depend on the Son of God for salvation. And when Christ took upon him the sins of the world, and he said, it is finished, and he gave his life, he was paying for the sin debt of all mankind. The events that would take place had never taken place before and would never take place again at that place called Golgotha. No doubt this man had seen somebody take their last breath. Never had he seen a man, again with loud voice, yielded up the ghost, and then at that moment there was an earthquake. Not just a tremble of an earthquake. Scripture said the rocks rent. Not just the, talking about the rocks that we see here, but the rocks that made up of the surrounding areas rent. It was that significant of an earthquake, you didn't just feel the tremble, you saw the results of the earthquake. And then Scripture continues to tell us, and the graves were opened. I don't know how much he heard of the, of the testimony of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is very possible that he would have been in Pilate's Hall. It was very possible that he would have heard the testimony against and what Christ had said, and perhaps he had seen all of that. I still maintain that those who condemned him knew who he was. You say the scripture, Pilate's own wife said, had nothing to do with this. My dreams have been disturbed. This is an innocent man. Have nothing to do with this. They knew who he was. No doubt that Roman centurion, he was affected by being in the presence of the Son of God. And when he was nailed to that cross, no doubt he was fulfilling his responsibility. But the moment he cried out and said, it is finished, and he yielded up his life, it was different. An earthquake happened. And as much as man's mind might would say, that's odd. Then the graves were opened. Well, Pastor, doesn't that make sense if the grave can pop open because there's an earthquake? Hold on. In many bodies of the saints which slept, it's not talking about an afternoon nap. 
It's talking about many of the saints that were dead and buried arose. I promise you, that centurion had never seen that at a crucifixion. It had never been this way. And came up by the graves after his resurrection and went to the Holy City, appeared unto many. The sky had already turned dark. It was already black. The, the earthquake had taken place. The, the rocks broke. The graves were opened and the saints were resurrected. There had never been a crucifixion like this before. I take the first three points that I've made this morning as just to give some background to the truth that I want us to see this morning before we conclude. Because there is a great doctrinal truth and doctrinal importance in the statement that this centurion makes. This unnamed man who was there fulfilling his responsibility, no doubt just fulfilling his duty, it did not take him long to realize that something's different. This is different. This has never taken place before. And I believe at that moment, as certainly God was working in his own life, the events of the previous day all came to a head at that moment. The accusations against this man, and he said not a word. The beatings, and he said not a word. The angry crowd, the mob, chanting, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. And then a centurion would have more common sense than those that would get caught up in a mob like that. And they say, well, who should we give you? Give us Barabbas. That centurion knew who Barabbas was. He knew the criminal Barabbas was. It wouldn't take him long to be in the presence of Barabbas and be in the presence of this one called Jesus and get a sense who the criminal was and who the innocent one was. And I believe all these things probably begin to take effect in his mind as all of this, this groundwork had been laid and why, why the crowd today? Why are people so worked up today? And now this one who's been nailed to the cross and there's his mother and there's some of his followers and, and he's certainly no doubt fulfilling his responsibility as that centurion. But then when this one yields the ghost, he takes his last breath, something different takes place. The earthquake... The sky is blackened. The graves open and those that were dead are now resurrected. And having seen all that, look at verse 40, 54 again. Now when the centurion and they that were with him watching Jesus saw the earthquake and those things that were done, they feared greatly and they didn't say global warming. saying, truly, this was the Son of God. Having seen, he came to that realization, which leads number four, the centurion in his declaration. Truly, this was the Son of God. Now, I want you to stay with me. This is very important. He declares he's now become a witness because of what he has witnessed. 
truly this was the Son of God. Everything that he has seen and witnessed, he could not push aside. He could not ignore. He could not reject. Never had he seen the events take place that have taken place today. And his declaration was, there's nothing, there's no other explanation. There's no way to explain it away. Truly, this was the Son of God. Truly, this man is who he said he was. We are in the presence of the Son of God. Now, this is important because we know he was the Son of God. But I also want us to see throughout Jesus' earthly ministry, the Pharisees and the religious, they had always been angry at Christ's teachings and miracles. They had always been angry when he said he was going to destroy the temple in three days, build it again. They had always been angry when he did in the name of God what none of them could do in the name of God because he was the son of God. It was the religious crowd. It was those, it was those chief priests. It was the Sanhedrin who had worked the people up to get Jesus to the place where he would be crucified. In verse number 29, look with me, the same chapter of verse 20, uh, chapter 27, verse 29, and when they had planted a crown of thorns, they put it upon his head in mockery because he said he was the king, in mockery because he had said he was the son of God. And they bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. In verse number 37, we read and set up over his head and his accusation written, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. They weren't declaring it as fact. They were mocking him. They were mocking his claims to be the Son of God. They were mocking his claims to be the Messiah, the one the, the prophets prophesied about, preached about, said would come. They were mocking him, saying, this is who he said he is. This is mocking This is Jesus, king of the Jews. Verse 39 and, 39 and 40, And they that passed by reviled him, wagging their heads and saying, Thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days, save thyself. They were too blind to even realize this. we were just on day one. Day three to rebuild the temple was coming. But they mocked what is, he taught. If, 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 if thou be the Son of God, come down from the cross. In verse number 41, likewise also the chief priest, mocking him with the scribes and the elders, said, Verse 42, he saved others, himself he cannot save. If he be the king of Israel, let him now come down from the cross, and we will believe him. See, man had done what man does today. We, they put their own rules on, on God's determining whether or not he was who he was. God doesn't have to prove to you. He doesn't have to prove to me who he is. He doesn't have to prove that he fashioned this world with his hands. He doesn't have to prove that he sent his son to die on the cross. It's up to you and I to accept what Christ is, uh, God has said, to accept it as fact. He doesn't have to prove a thing. He's God. Well, God needs to prove to me his love. He's letting you breathe. He gave you a life. He sent his son to, to pay your sin debt. He's already proven he loves you. He's already proven who he is. But they're mocking him because he said he was the son of God. Verse 43, he trusted in God. Let him deliver him now. If he will have him, for he said, I am the son of God. Well, if he's the son of God, let God deliver him now. Because that's what he said. If God really want, look at the scripture. If he will have him, if he's not ashamed of his own son, if he leaves him, then he's rejecting him. 
That's what they're saying. They're mocking the fact, disputing the fact that he said he was the Son of God. We witness and we read again the account of the mocking the blasphemy of the religious of the world at Christ. But I conclude this morning with the summary of our centurion. After witnessing the events of that day, the Roman centurion, fulfilling his duty in a foreign land, saw what the Jews could not see. He not only saw the events taking place, he declared. He not only saw who Jesus was who he said he was, he declared it. Truly, this was the Son of God. The Roman centurion became a witness of Christ's deity when he declared the very thing that Christ had been crucified for. He was of the belief, and he realized at that point, the innocent blood had been shed. And it had been shed by guilty men. Friend, innocent blood was shed on Calvary. And it was shed for guilty men. See, everything was different now. The Son of God had come to the Jew. The Son of God had come to His chosen people. And God's chosen people had rejected Christ. They had rejected who Christ said that He was. But here at the foot of the cross, it was a Gentile centurion that declared, truly, this was the Son of God. Marking the event that redemption was now available to the whole world. I hope we grasp the significance of the one statement by an unnamed centurion from a pagan land, a Gentile, fulfilling his post, but witnessing the events and realizing what God's own people refused to believe. But the crucifixion that day, the death of Christ, and of course His coming resurrection just a few days later, certainly would make salvation available to every man. And friend, this morning, aren't you thankful that through the eyes of a Gentile at the foot of the cross, he could see the events taking place. And I personally believe when he made that statement, he was believing on the man who was on the cross. He was believing everything that he had seen. Truly, this was the Son of God. And friend, you can't have salvation unless you believe Jesus is the only begotten Son of God, lived a perfect life, and He's the only way of salvation. Friend, there's not a church on the planet that can get you to heaven. There's not a religious belief in the world that can get you access to God. Your good works won't get you one step closer. It is only through the Son of God. And as He declared that day, truly, this was the Son of God. Someone who witnessed events became a witness. Let me conclude with this. Christian, how is your witness? 
the centurion could not help but declare, truly, this was the Son of God after what he had seen that day. After what we've seen in our own life, our own salvation, should we not declare to the world, truly, this was the Son of God? Truly, this is the Son of God? Truly, He is the way to God? He is the, he's, he's the, de- he's the, he's the death, the burial, the resurrection, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is the way of salvation. Friend, this morning, may we be reminded that God did not send a lamb as was slain in the Old Testament, he sent the Lamb of God, his own son, to pay our sin debt. He didn't choose a quote-unquote good man because good man couldn't have gotten to God. But his own son, a friend this morning, with your saved, rejoice in your salvation, rejoice in what God has done for us, what Christ did for us that day, and may we echo what the centurion said by saying, it's the Son of God. I don't believe in a system of man-made beliefs. I believe in the death, the burial, the resurrection of the perfect Son of God. When, when the Bible says, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, friend, you, you, can, you can count on it this morning. You can take it to the bank. God sent His only begotten Son. He lived on this earth. He lived a perfect life, and He was the same one who was nailed to that cross. He was the same one who that centurion kept his eyes on, and when he saw the events of the day, he said, it's Him. He is the Son of God. Truly, this is the Son of God. That He is who He said He was. He is who they denied Him being. And may we rejoice today that it was the Son of God who paid our sin debt. It was the Son of God who made Himself a sacrifice. And what a joy we have in our salvation through the Son of God. Friend, if you're here this morning and you've never put your faith in Christ in the Son of God, there's not a church that can save you. I don't care how faithful your grandmother was or how many times she read the Bible through. She can't save you. So when I die, I'll, I'll trust somebody to pray me. Into, that It can't happen. Well, I, I'm not as bad as other people. Well, friend, according to God, one sin would send us to hell. And in God's eyes, all sins are the same. It's an offense against him. The only hope man has is to believe what the centurion said. Truly, this was the Son of God. And may we look, if you're here this morning and you've never trusted Christ, may you look to Him today for salvation. You must believe that you're a sinner. You must believe that because of your sins, you deserve to pay for your own sins in that place called hell. And the only only hope we have is in Christ. Put your faith in what... Well, I just don't believe that happened. You can't be saved. I just don't believe that's reality. You're going to pay for your own sins. You can get upset at me this morning for being the voice of honesty, but I have a responsibility to tell you, if you don't put your faith and trust in what Christ did, say, do you really believe... Do you really believe that, that the earthquake took place and the sky darkened and, that, and that, that the graves opened up? Oh, friend, I believe it happened. It's just as real as you and I sitting here today. Oh, you'll look at Hollywood and you really believe Iron Man's a thing. You really believe Batman's a thing. But you can't believe the word of God when God said, when, when the sins of mankind were being paid for, that the, the, the earth shook, the graves opened, 
Saints were resurrected. Friend, I believe that because the day is coming when that trumpet trumpet sounds, the resurrection is taking place again. The graves are going to open again. Those saints that are sleeping, they're going to be resurrected with him. It's happened before. It's going to happen again. Don't be left without Christ. It's a belief in what he did. It'd be a shame for you to have the privilege of sitting in a church service like this this morning. The centurion wasn't in a church. He was in the presence of the Son of God. It'd be a shame for you to come to church this morning and be in the presence of the Son of God, hear the testimony preached, and to hear the testimony proclaimed by a man who is at the foot of the cross. Truly, this is the Son of God. Why would we depend on anybody else? Oh, those of you that just believe in Jesus, you're crazy. You're going to believe in another sinful man to forgive you of your sins? I'm not sure how that works. Because it doesn't. Because salvation comes through the Son of God. Father, I pray this morning.